What's up, guys? Glad to have you joining us again for the latest edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I got my co-host Curtis here on the other end of the line. And uh, obviously, if you're listening today, or if you're listening on a Friday, we are coming to you on a Friday this week, as opposed to a Thursday. And like our our recording schedule has been kind of messed up all summer because that's what summer does. It kind of just wreaks havoc on our recording schedule with vacations and such. So we're definitely sorry that it hasn't been initially regularly on Tuesday and Thursday like it normally is throughout the off season. It's been kind of here and there we're with uh, Kurt and I doing different things, going different places, obviously with the 4th of July weekend, or not weekend, but 4th of July in the middle of the week kind of threw us off a little bit, but we are back and ready to go here on a Friday. So we do apologize if you looked for us yesterday, but we're back. Uh, and if you listen to Monday's episode, then you also know that we said that today's show would be the next installment of our Summer Sky of the Enemy series. This one focusing on Tennessee as we kind of make our way down the 2017 schedule. But... Hate to do this to you guys again, but we're going to push that show off. We could do it right now. It's not a matter of being ready, but we want to push that show off until next week because with the Nike opening and the Elite 11 quarterback finals wrapping up within the last couple of days, there's kind of been a deluge of recruiting news that has um, kind of come down the pipe over the past couple of days. So we want to make sure to cover that in a remotely timely fashion. Uh, trust me, guys, I love doing the Scout and the Enemy shows. One of the fair things that we do all, that on this show that we do all year f- from my end. Uh, I just I love that deep dive in the opponents that it requires, but we've gotten a ton of questions about the developments on the recruiting front over the last week, and given that one of our foremost goals on the show is to generate listener-driven content and uh, kind of focus on the topics that interest all of you guys out there listening, uh, we want to make sure to kind of be responsive to all those questions we've been getting. So today we are going to roll with one of our Recruiting Blitz episodes to kind of catch you up on all of the recruiting news that's kind of been coming down the pipe here the past week or so. Uh, so for those of you who were looking forward to the Tennessee preview that was originally scheduled to uh, be uh, produced today, we do apologize. I know it sucks kind of expecting one thing and then get another, uh, but we'll do our best on this recruiting show. Hope you'll find this at least somewhat enjoyable. Um, and don't worry, we, we will just kind of roll with two Scott and the Enemy series shows next week with Tennessee on Tuesday and Missouri on Thursday. So check back with us next week. We definitely will have those Scott and the Enemy shows for you then. Uh, but before we go any further with recruiting, recruiting talk, I just want to throw out a quick reminder that you guys can follow us and share your thoughts on the show, good or bad, whatever you guys think, on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. Uh, email us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, also on our Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page, which is still in its infancy, but we're getting it up and going. we got a lot of people, or at least some people on there uh, checking us out. So if you get a chance, go there, like us, interact with us there, get, share your thoughts. be awesome. Uh, and we do, guys. We encourage you to share your thoughts on the, any of the topics we discuss on the show. Just let us know what you like about the show, what you don't like, so that we can continue to try to bring you exactly what you want. You can also subscribe to, share, and like the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the TuneIn and Stitcher apps. All right, Kurt. Let's roll with this recruiting list. we got a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of prospects to talk about, so I want to go ahead and get into this. Uh, well, think about where to start. The obvious place to start here is the quarterback position, right? Yeah. Gotta start with the quarterbacks. That's that's what's on everybody's mind. Everyone wants to know about the quarterbacks, Justin Fields, Matt Corral, and what's gonna go down there. So as all of you are probably very well aware of, we are reportedly, and it seems that way, it gets to be reported from various outlets, multiple sources, that we are in the top group for two five star elite eleven quarterbacks and Justin Fields from Harrison High School here in Georgia, who happened to win the Elite Eleven, was the Elite Eleven MVP this year, and then Matt Corral from California. Kurt, we've got a couple questions here, but I'm going to start you off with just a very, very simplistic question before heading off into a few different directions with this quarterback topic. So first off, very basic here, are you still of the opinion after what happened at the opening, what went down there, 
that Justin Fields is a better quarterback prospect long-term than Matt Corral. Are you still in that bandwagon? College NFL, or college quarterback prospects, yes. Ooh, so maybe not NFL. Why would you say just college? Um, you know, it's one of those things that I think he could he could be a good college or good NFL quarterback, but I think the college system is tailored to him. Um, you know, you don't you have uh, you see the that you have a lot of these dual threat type guys. Well, I think he's a better passer than most dual threat guys. But in general, the game is just in college specifically it's more friendly. Really tailored to them. Yeah, dual threat quarterbacks. It's more friendly, that's for sure. So you so you're saying that you think Fields are probably going to be the better college guy, Corral possibly the better NFL player down the road. Um, I think you can see that. I think Fields is a little bit better passing wise, which would make his game a little bit different for pro game. But it's kind of like the argument, you know, when you see Jalen Hurts versus Easton. I mean, it's the same thing where Hurts might have a little bit more college success than Easton, but Easton would be the higher draft pick. It's interesting. I haven't thought about that. I don't know. See, I think Justin Fields has a chance to be a pretty transcendent talent on the next level. I think oh, he has I, a chance. I agree. I agree. I think he, he's, he's going to change the game, especially in college. I just, I, I mean, right now with the way even these dual threat quarterbacks aren't running as much in the, when they come to the pros as much as compared to what they do while in college. So basically you, one of the biggest – he's a good passer. I think you mentioned that. But one of the biggest aspects to his game that makes him so dangerous, that makes him maybe a transcendent college player, is the fact that he's so dangerous with his legs. And you, that may, may not translate as well, that skill set to the NFL. Is that pretty much what you're looking at there? Yeah, I mean, when you have the bigger guys who are faster and just as strong, you know, just as fast and stronger and bigger. Yeah, yeah, you you don't you're right. You don't see a lot of those guys, those true dual threat guys, make it in the NFL. Or when they go to the NFL, they have to transition to the NFL style, and they don't use their legs as much. Not to say you can't. Cam Newton did early on in his career, but look what he did last year. You know, after getting a couple concussions, he had to pull back the reins and run the football. And what happened? Oh, that's right, his passing numbers went down. So it's an interesting transition. So I I, I don't know. I need to see more from Fields, I guess, on the college field to determine if he's a who the better prospect is there long-term pro down the road in, in the pros. But I think Fields has what it takes based on what I've seen as a passer. If you throw the legs out, because look what he did at the opening. He was the best quarterback there by far. wasn't even close, and his legs did not come into the equation there. So I think he's as polished, as advanced as a passer than any of the quarterbacks coming out this class right now. As polished and advanced, I think he's improved his game in the last six to eight six to eight months, really, that you've seen. I mean, the kid was a good, very, you know, the number one dual threat quarterback prospect for a while, but now he's really developed his game even more. Well, I mean, so the, the past six months, he's taken it to a whole new level. And I know that when you're at the opening with the seven on sevens, I, I know it's not tr- true football. I know it's seven on seven, no pads, no linemen are out there. I get that, but still in that context. The guy what, was like 72% completion percentage over the course of the 7-on-7 seven seven competition, 16 touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mean, he was flat-out dominant. That's as good of a performance as anyone's put up in the elite, in, in the opening 7-on-7 seven seven competition. I mean, as a passer, I, I, I'll say it again. I mean, and you're, you can totally disagree with me. I think he's as – I don't think there's anyone that's that is more polished and more advanced than he is as a passer right now. So you can say about Trevor Lawrence, he, he was better than Trevor Lawrence. And what, what is 7-on-7? Seven seven? It's a passing league, basically. It's passing camp is basically what it was. And he put better numbers than anybody out there. And again, I know there's no pass rush and that thing, but you still have to make your reads. You still have to, I, you have to get the ball out of your hands. You have to be decisive. You have to be, be able to go through progressions. You have to be accurate. He did all of those things. So I, And that's just the best talent in the country. So – I think he'll translate fine to the NFL, uh, but regardless, I mean, we're, we only care about college, right? I mean, yeah, I was saying we're getting away from the, the 
point yeah. is why is that I, I think that when it comes to college fields is the better prospect yeah. and I think he he's transcendent with his talent. So what do you see? What what is it that makes him a better college quarterback prospect than Matt Corral? Um, I think just the fact that the dual threat, not only the dual threat as we mentioned, the guy had his passing game is very developed, which makes him just that much more dangerous. You saw it with Sean Watson. Yeah. While you know he could run and everything, it was not only the running, but he could just extend the play a little bit, you know, evade the rush, and then his passing. You know, he's a pretty developed passer, and he would make some big time throws. So you mentioned, and I am too. We're both talking about Phil Fields as a dual threat guy here who can move. Because I mean, he is. I mean, he, he put up a four five one forty yard dash at two hundred twenty plus pounds. I mean, the guy is ridiculous. Six three two twenty one right now. That's what he measured in at the opening, and he put up a four five one. So that means basically at any given moment he could run a true four four. Um, it's a just ridiculous combination of physical tools there. But Corral is no scrub himself when it comes to doing things with his legs, making things happen with his legs as well. Uh, I, when I watch Matt Corral, I think he's got great pocket awareness, and he's got escapability back there in the pocket. He, first, you've got to be aware of where the pass rush is coming from. He kind of has that innate ability to kind of feel the pass rush, even when he not doesn't have his eyes on it. He kind of seems to have that internal clock. And then once he recognizes that, he is able to escape the pocket, uh, then he extend plays and drives with his legs. But do you see him as the same dual threat type guy as Fields, or is he a, as no, Fields he's a step? A, he's a Connor Shaw type guy. He's adequate. I mean, he's I think he's, a, I think he's between. Well, like I was about a, to say he's 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 a little bit. He, I mean, I, I think he may be a little bit more mobile. But I think one thing that's against him though is you know I was te- when I was talking to you last night is what gets me is he's only 185 pounds. He can't take it. And you where know, did you see like that you number? That Fields, who's two, around 220 pounds solidly right yeah. now. That I think that also has to be taken into account. Where did you see that number, 185? Because on the opening, uh, they got I saw, him, it on multiple, I saw it on multiple recruiting sites. Okay. At the opening, they got him in at like 195. So I don't know. You, you're right, but you see a bunch of different things. You don't know what to believe. I mean, he, but, in general, but in somewhere general, between there, 185, 195. You got Fields, yeah. who's 20, 25 pounds heavier, yeah, 25, 30 and pounds more, yeah. more mobile. Yeah, that, that isn't that crazy. That's insane. I mean, 20, 25, I mean, I 30 pounds. Thing, I mean, you just can't. There's certain things that are just God-given. And I, look, I don't want to – I know you hear this thrown around because he plays on a seven-on-seven seven seven team, the Cam Newton seven-on-seven seven team during the offseason or the summer. But and I don't want to – look, I'm not going to sit here and say Cam – or that Justin Fields is Cam Newton. But the but the but there's similarities in the body, right, in terms of the thickness, no, the size. Yeah, the one, I definitely agree. Like you're saying, the size, everything about him. I mean, he's not – Six five and everything like I believe Cam Newton is, but he just no. got a lot of similar traits. He's not as big as Cam Newton is, but he's bigger than your average quarterback. Plus, you got him in that 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 combination of that size and this. But yeah, Cam Newton six five. I'm assuming he sometimes looks like two hundred forty freaking pounds. Let me pull up his weight here. I'm six five two forty five. So he's not. I mean, look, he's not quite Cam Newton size, but when you compare him to other quarterbacks. Uh, He's bigger than Deshaun Watson. About oh just god, yeah. I mean, Sean Watson, any second could have gotten ripped, especially early in his career, could have gotten ripped apart. Uh, but Fields is he's already and this he's as a, right now he's not even a senior in high school yet. Soon he will be, but not yet. And he's already that big and still that fast, which is just crazy. Uh, and he's put on some good weight over the past year. I mean, a year or so ago he's about two hundred pounds. He's put on a good twenty plus pounds in the past year and has not lost a bit of speed. So the guy's just crazy good. Um, for me, what makes what makes him a I would say a step, a slight step ahead of Corral on my my board here 
It's just the rare combination of physical tools. Look, Corral has a lot of physical tools too. I mean, the guy threw uh, – he won the, the long pass competition, right? 77 yeah, he, yards? Yeah, he, he, he outthrew uh, Trevor Lawrence. Big 77 arm. yards in the air. That is ridiculous. Yeah, that's two steps. two steps. Two steps. That's absurd. So the arm strength is there. I mean, I think Corral has a better arm than Fields. I mean, it's, oh, that's, yeah. I mean, Corral, not, 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 compare, not by much, but – If you want to compare it to the Corral, um, I think you think Air Murray, but with a little bit better intangibles. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, so he's got a strong arm. Fields isn't too far behind. Because I've seen Fields, you know, on tape, throw the ball across his body 55 yards in the air, flicking his wrist. But Corral, I mean – Dude, just talking about what Fields did the seven on seven portion of the competition with his completion percentage and touchdowns and no interceptions. Well, Crowd did that in the long pass competition. There were two steps. So and the guy's one, got a crazy one thing arm. That not the invention that also makes Fields a little bit more attractive is that he's the in-state guy. He has yes. a little bit better connections in-state. Well, it's it's the pool that he, that that would come along yeah. with him coming to to join. I mean, Kyrus Jackson's a wide receiver that we've been hot and heavy after, and he's flat out basically said, "I'm going where Justin Fields is going." So I mean, and he's not alone. I can assure you that there's a lot of guys, and he's got he's got that ability to pull those guys. Long as that's the reason quarterbacks generally commit early. He committed early to Penn State because they're the, usually the centerpiece of a recruiting class, and everyone's drawn to them. We had that with Eason last year, so uh, or no, two years ago, and then Fromm last year. So you have that element, and he's he's definitely got that. That's another thing that's kind of in his corner there. But he's got a rare combination of physical tools. Corral's got plenty of tools as well. But I think I would say in most areas, Fields is just a slight bit better than Corral. A slight yeah, bit ahead. I gotta say that it's definitely the arm. It's not a biggest of a deal about Fields, but one thing that is a little dangerous. I mean, you might not see it as much, but it's not a huge deal. But he's not an early enrollee, which is very surprising true. for most quarterbacks. True, you know, he true. wants to play senior year high school baseball. And, you know, that's – I don't know if you – know, you know, my mind's still a little blank on these early signing periods right now. But, we have a December signing extra, period. Yeah, unless he does that. I mean, you got an extra couple months that you got to hold on to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, he's already – I would say, though – I mean, you're right. You can never say never. You got to fight for not having him on campus, building an – you know, he's sure, someone that you sure. want. Even though there's no chance of him starting next year, you still want him in there getting – Meaningful, like you know, getting right. early, getting well, to know you wanted to get stuff. it as you know, and he, I'm sure he does too. Whoever it is, if they're going to come in and compete with Jake Fromm uh, as the number two guy, you want to get in there and get ready as quickly as you possibly can and kind of cut down on the lead that Fromm already has being in the system. So, uh, yeah, and that's another, that's another factor to consider. So, I don't think that I mean, look, I, I, I've been saying since last year that I think Justin Fields. He's the best quarterback in this class. I, I thought he was better than Trevor Lawrence. People thought I was crazy, and maybe I still am. Trevor Lawrence is still a crazy good player. He's going to be really good for Clemson. But I've been on fields for a long time, and he's only gotten better and better and better as the year has gone on. I think he's a potential game-changing type talent, a, a program changer if you land him. I really do. I mean, I love Jake Fromm. I love Jake Fromm. You guys know that if you listen. It's, i got a major man crush on Jake Fromm. But, man, I love, I love Justin Fields, too. And... It'll be a hell of a battle if we land both those guys. Even if we land Corral, it'll be a hell of a battle between him and uh, and Fromm as well. Um, so let's move on a little bit here. Staying on this quarterback question here. So, okay, Fields is reportedly visiting us on July 16th. And then Corral is scheduled to be in town a week or so after that. I believe it's July 26th that he's coming in town, the very end of the month. Uh, now, over the weekend, doing all the media at the opening, all that stuff that all these prospects had to do, Fields suggests that there's a very good chance that he could take his recruitment into the early part of the season. 
Uh, and Jeff Sintel, um, you guys, I'm sure, realize his work uh, of, on the at, with the AJC. He does a great job of keeping everyone up to date with the developments in the world of recruiting. And he asked Fields at the opening if he would be ready to make a summer commitment. And Fields responded by saying, quote, probably not because I have no idea. And then later on, when asked if he was planning on taking his official visits before making a decision, Fields replied by saying, quote, probably. I'm going to try to take them in the beginning of the season. Now, Corral, on the other hand, sounds like he might be ready to go public with a decision a little earlier than Fields. In fact, in an interview with an Alabama site, Bama Online, Corral stated, quote, I want to be committed sometime in the summer. And then Corral also went on and told Jeffson tell the AJC in an interview that on his trip to Athens in late July, he is bringing his whole family, which to me, and tell me, I mean, you agree with this, Kurt? Usually when they say they're bringing their whole family, it's often code for, I love what I saw when I visited alone. Now I want to show my family what I see and get their approval to move so far from home, right? Isn't that what you take from that? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much 100% what it is. Yeah, I mean, that you you come on your own, you love it, you come back home, you rave about it. Mom and dad say, oh, well, let me see it before you do anything crazy. Let, me, let us go see it. And that seems what he's doing here. He made a point that I'm bringing my whole family. I came down with myself first, now I'm bringing the whole family. To me, that says he wants to get their thumbs up to go ahead and commit and move across country. So, Kurt, if you are Kirby Smart and Company, how do you handle it? This is the biggest question right now for me. If, I honestly, I honestly, because I mean, not to, not to cut you off, but I honestly, yeah. I mean, I, you know, while I know Justin Fields is a transcendent guy, it's, I, I, it's a dangerous spot to say no to a five-star quarterback yeah. and then to wait for someone that you don't have a solid, solid answer from. Yeah, can you afford to pass up one five-star, even if maybe he's second on your board, maybe if he's one A on your board, can you afford to pass him up? When he's a sure thing, I don't think you can. In my opinion, I think it's almost hard to because then you're left. You could be left with none, and then and then you're like, all right, crap. What do we do next? Because if you're looking at the next class, 2019, I don't know. We've been really focusing on 2020, and the guy from Marietta is not favoring us yet. We have a lot of work to do there. Um, So that's why I think it's a really dangerous spot to be in, and and that's why I think one thing that you know you didn't mention, but is I think is really you know is something is Matt Corral has been saying for a week or maybe more that his his official George visit Georgia is July 25th. 25th, okay, not 26th, 25th, there you go. Yeah, About he's, a week he's and a half July after 25th. Fields. Well, just the last couple of days, Justin Fields has gone public with that he's going to be visiting Georgia the, the week before. Yeah, the 16th. So I think yeah. that also has something to say because maybe the, you know you don't know you never know, but I could see it. I can imagine the Georgia coaches saying that if if it comes July 25th and we don't have your your you know your commitment, uh, then we might have to take his and go. Yeah, and that, it's, that might be yeah. the case of why he's scheduled it the week before. Yeah, that, and that's that's my thing. So if you're Kirby, obviously, I mean, I, I should I say obviously. I think you're open with both. Of, or you have to be. You have to be transparent here, and let them both know that you have to. That you, you just you can't run the operation and kind of lie and manipulate them. You've got to be open and transparent. That's how you get these guys. So I see a scenario. Tell me if if you're if this sounds right. If I'm Kirby, I see a scenario where. When Fields visit on the 16th, you say, hey, "Look, man, you got you know that we're recruiting both you and Matt Corral. We really like both of you." And, and look, I don't know who's number one on our board. I know who's number one on my board, uh, and I don't know if a coach's board matches that. I think it does, um, based on some things I'm hearing behind the scenes. So let's say Fields, for the purposes of this argument, is number one on our board, and Corral is just like one A right underneath him. When Fields comes on the 16th, comes a week or so before Field or before Corral. 
would I think it would make sense for Kirby to say, look, man, look, I got Corral coming in in a week and a half. You're number one on our board. We're not asking you to go ahead and commit, go public right now, but we need to have an idea of where we stand in your recruitment. Are we the team right now? Now, he and may, and you don't know how he responds to that. You don't know. Maybe he says, Coach, I'm not ready. Uh, maybe he says, Coach, I, I just – I don't know. My mind's just spinning right now. I got I got a lot more to see. I got to take my official visits. Maybe he says, Coach, you know what? Right now, yeah, I want to be a Bulldog. I still want to check everything out, and I want to see what's out there. But right now, I, I'm leaning your way. So if he if he does this – so let's say he doesn't commit publicly – after after his visit on the 16th, but he kind of gives you some private assurances. Uh, do, what you would call a silent commitment. I hate silent commitments because they rarely pan out. But do you take that and say, Matt Corral, sorry, we got a silent commitment from Justin Fields, or is that enough? Should he have to go public? Uh, I, I think it has to be public. Or public. I mean, yeah. You can't count on it. You just cannot count on it. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Like I said, if you go, if you say, all right, we'll take your secret, you know, your private commitment, then he never goes public. He goes for someone else. You're screwed. We've been burned so many times, so many times. Go back to last year, Marquavius Bryant, Jacoby Stevens. Remember that name, guys? Everyone was convinced that we were going to get him, and he was a silent commit, and then he ends up going yeah, to LSU. He already filmed a commitment video to right, us. Right, So I, the silent commitment thing, dude, I, I don't believe in it. it. That is nothing to me. I mean, verbal commitments are, are really, like, I don't I don't even know if I believe in them all that much. I mean, it's more going public is more, it's, it's more than the silent variety, but still, there's nothing that's going to happen. I mean, until you sign the dotted line, it I, uh, it just makes me nervous. So, if he's not going to go public, I don't think you can take that. If if Corral comes the 16th or the 25th and says, "Coach, I'm committing. I brought my family here. Go dogs. I want to be a dog." I think you got to take it. I think you do. As much as I want Fields, I, I know. I agree. It, it's it's a, it's a weird situation. So let me throw this hypo, hypothetical at you. So let's say that happens. Let's say that that. Uh, Fields comes the 16th and he's not ready to go public with his decision. Then Corral visits in late July and the news breaks that he's committed on his visit. If in that scenario, what would your personal reaction be to that news? I would be okay with it because I think it's a it's a feeling of security. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the thing. And see, and that's the thing. It's not like we said when it comes to Fields and Corral, you're really looking at one A, one B. It's not like a one. Right. It's not a head and shoulders above better. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's just a dark, it's a bad situation to be in where we're fighting over five star quarterbacks. Especially when we signed two in the previous class. I mean, the idea that we're going to sign three five stars in consecutive, one in each consecutive class, and three consecutive years—that's insane. Like we've never done that. We've never approached that. So this is this is uncharted territory for us. Like I mean, think about think back to like two or three months ago. As recently as two or three months ago, people were just you know gnashing their they were just people are all up in arms about a recruiting class and that we we were falling behind. We had a great class in seventeen and eighteen. Everything's falling apart. Kirby can't do. He can't replicate it. We got to win the field. And people there are a lot of people out there that were panicking uh, and saying there was no way that we were going to sign a quarterback. I mean, we didn't know what we were going to do at quarterback because we were just throwing out offers left and right and we didn't seem to have any interest from a lot of these guys. So. It's kind of a, a complete reversal of fortunes here. The idea that we're gonna that we're now picking between potentially two five star quarterbacks that might have to turn one away. We've come a long way from where we were a couple months ago when people were freaking out about our recruiting class, and it's 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 a, it's awesome. It's a sight for sore eyes. So uh, for me, my reaction, okay, number one, I'd be excited. Okay, anytime you get a five star quarterback, that's awesome news. Especially like I said, if you get one in three consecutive classes, that's crazy. Never been done before. You have to be excited about that. You'd be crazy. But I'd also be lying if I said I would not also feel at least a small hint of disappointment. Are you with me on that? I mean, I'd probably be a little disappointed, but at the same time, 
it's nowhere near the feeling I'd have if we didn't land. If we, yeah, if we missed on both of them. So, and that's why, like, it's like, hey, man, you know, I like let's have a little bit of perspective here. We're getting a five star prospect here. You know, one of these guys that could be. I, I don't know if he's a. Uh, I don't. Know, would you say Corrales could potentially be a, a program changer? Yeah, because the one thing that we haven't talked know. about enough is he's got he's got an edge to him. He though. does he's have probably, an edge to him. Now he he basically had to transfer schools because of that edge. Although I wouldn't say that's his fault necessarily. Yeah. Not all his fault. That's the one thing that can make him better than most other five stars. Is, I mean, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, they all have edges about them, but this kid definitely has an edge to his skill, which, you know, sometimes that's not a bad thing to have. If you can keep it in check, like within yeah. reason, within reason. Like edges can also get you thrown in prison if you don't control it. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. I do see that in him. You're right. That's something that you got to factor in here as well. Look, I, look, I'd be, I'd be through the moon if we got Matt Crow. I'd be crazy excited. Um, but I also think that Justin Fields is just, I mean, a hair better than I'm, just a little bit better than him. I mean, there's, there's talk of Fields, you know, truly challenging Lawrence as a number one player. That was I mean, my next question. Does Fields deserve to be elevated to the number one player in the country and displace Trevor Lawrence? Uh, I think it would have to be at the end of the you know the final rankings because do it really during the need... season. Yeah, because I think I wait what I think he has to do it like he he's been insanely yeah, good during season. camp season. Yeah, he has to show it during the season. Well, yeah. he's had a great. That's my thing. He's done really well the last six eight months, really changing himself. Uh, I really want to see him take it to the season. Yeah, I mean, he's done an incredible job transforming his body, improving his game. He's just exploded on the camps. He's been, he's been the best quarterback at every camp he's gone to, and that's including all these camps with, with Trevor Lawrence. But it's not the real deal. It's not the real deal on the field when you, out, when you have to go out there and win games. Now, Trevor Lawrence has won two state titles, played in three, uh, and break a ton of Georgia State passing records. So, I mean, the guy is crazy good, and he's done on the field. Now, Harrison High School, where Fields plays, he had, they haven't won state titles, they haven't gone deep in the playoffs. So do you hold that against Fields somewhat? I mean, they play in the highest classification, whereas uh, in Cartersville, Trevor Lawrence does not. Huh? The Cartersville doesn't even play They, they don't even play Buford anymore. And look, I, let me ask you this. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is really good. I'm not trying to disparage him at all. But if you put Justin Fields on Cartersville, do they still win the state title the past two years? Yeah. Absolutely they do. So... And if you look at his numbers, he's not that far off Trevor Lawrence in terms of a completion percentage and things of that nature. You know, the guy almost rushed for 1,000 yards last year. So, I mean, I, but still, Trevor Lawrence has won the big ones a couple, couple of years in a row here. So, but, I, I, yeah, translate what you've done this offseason on the camp circuit to the field, and then we'll talk after that and see if maybe you're ready to displace Trevor Lawrence as number one. But I think he's definitely got, he's making an argument for it. And I've said all along that I would personally take Fields over Lawrence because I think the dual threat dimension, what he brings with his legs, makes him that much tougher to defend. It does a lot more for your offense, puts more strain on the defenses. So that's why I would take him uh, over Lawrence. But going back to Corral, if we got him, I'd be through the moon excited. But there would, I'm not going to lie, I, I really want Justin Fields, and there'd be just a slight tinge of disappointment there. But I'd be way more excited than anything. All right, let's move on from the quarterback question here. Let's go on to another prospect that we are heavily involved with who had a monster showing at the opening in Oregon, and that's offensive lineman Jamari Sawyer from Georgia Pace Academy who won the Lineman MVP Award at the opening. So Sawyer's the number nine overall prospect in the country according to the 247 composite ratings. And he, um, at the opening, during all the interviews they went through, he reaffirmed his plan to take his recruitment the distance uh, all the way to signing day, at least in terms of a public announcement. That's his plan right now. But, Kurt, what I'm curious to get your take on is this. Could Salyer, who seems to be the best offensive lineman in this class, interior or tackle, 
could he possibly be a more important prospect for us to land than even Justin Fields in this class? I don't think so. While mm-hmm. I think, like you said, he's probably the best lineman in the class, he field someone like that can change your whole program. You can see what a dual threat can do without having the best offensive lineman in the best offensive line. Um, but still, having a good offensive line makes your job e- easier, even if oh, yeah, you are was, a dual threat. At the threat. same time, if Salyer's going to be pushed right away to start, I mean, you're going to have people ahead of him um, that have a year young of experience. Guys. And, and, young I, guys. Don't, and yeah. I don't think that Justin Schaefer or Tory Johnson or any of them are slouches. No, they're not. Dude, I think oh, I'm, I like both those guys. I'm Go back to last year. I'm big on Justin Shape. I think he's gonna be better long term than, or at least I think he's gonna be ready earlier than than Notori will be. And, and you also and got Solomon Kinley, who's a young guy too, who's a redshirt freshman. And that's why I think Sawyer's. I think he's great, but he's gonna be pushed very, very hard for a long time by those guys because those guys might one of the one of the two might redshirt, maybe two of them. You don't know. So I mean, Fair. they're gonna. Ha- it's gonna be a battle, and that's why you don't know if he'll win right away. Honestly, I think that might be why he's not on our commitment list right now. Is the fact that we just loaded up on offensive guards last year, and you got Solomon McKinley who might start this year as a redshirt freshman. We got a lot of young guys that play the same position he plays, and he he probably is a better player than them. But that's still daunting. And everybody goes. They say, you know what? Yeah, just go in there and compete. Got to compete everywhere. That's true, but why not? If all things else are equal, wouldn't you rather go in a situation where playing time is a little more open, a little more available early? So I I think that's one of the major holdups why he's not on our commit list right now because I know he loves us he loves our staff but look I mean I understand if you see those young guys in front of you I think he could beat them out but still that's 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 an upward hill climb there uphill climb upward hill that doesn't make any sense uphill climb um look well is there is there not something to say for the fact that are are you a believer in the idea that games are won and lost in the trenches do you still believe that old cliche I mean, I believe that hundred percent. Even in this day and age of spread offenses, that try to get people yeah, in space. Yeah, because no matter what, I mean, the quarterback's got to have some time to throw, and even then, I mean, at some point you have to be able to run the football. Yeah, I was say you're gonna have to be able to run the football at times. Yeah, and it's, yeah, and, and if you have a great, if you're facing a great defensive line, even if you do have a dual threat quarterback, that can blow it up in any second, and you're you're done. So I think, see, that's what gives me some slight pause here. I truly still believe that the games are won and lost in the trenches. One of the reasons that Alabama is a, a prominent favorite every single year is because they are just dominant on the line to scrimmage. Yes, they have skilled players elsewhere. They, they recruit well everywhere. But year in and year out, they are dominant on the offensive and defensive lines, and that's why they're in the championship conversation year in and year out. For us to get to that point, we have to start developing dominating offensive and defensive lines. And part of that is adding depth to push guys. If a guy gets down, you have another uh, goes down, you got another guy to step in there and take his place. So, man... I think this is the missing piece for us, is our offense and defensive lines. Once we get those foot out, the sky's limit for us. Because we have skill players. I mean, I, I, we always do. I'm never going to be concerned about skill players. So I, I think there's an argument that could possibly be made, but generally you make those arguments for tackles, right, on the offensive line, like an Isaiah yeah. Wilson. Not so much an interior guy, but, man, if there is an argument to be made for an interior guy, it is Tigers. That guy is just an absolute beast. But I'm still going to go with Fields. And I wouldn't say this with every quarterback. Um but I do, like I said earlier in the show, I think Fields has the potential to be a transcendent type player to change a program. So I'm going to go with him, giving the slight edge there in terms of being a more important prospect. Although they're both very important in this class. Uh, all right, next up is a bit of news that broke, uh, I think it was this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, James Cook 
Five foot eleven, hundred ninety pound running back, number thirty three overall prospect, number three rated running back in the country. Brother of Dalvin Cook of late Florida State fame. Well, his brother James decommitted from FSU on Tuesday, which is something that's it's long been rumored to be in the works. That wasn't any surprise to anybody. And normally that might not mean much to Georgia fans, but here's the thing: if you guys have been following this, you know. Cook has been very open about his affection for Georgia and our current coaching staff. Uh, in fact, when asked by Kip Adams of Dogs247 about the visits that Cook has taken this year, Cook responded by saying, quote, UGA, 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 and that's about it. So he visited us in April, uh, then he liked it enough. He, again, another situation, bring him on back. He visits on his own in April, then he wants to bring Mama back on a multi-day trip in June. And according to Cook in that same interview with Kip Adams, he said, quote, she loved it, talking about his mom. So, Kurt, Let's start with this with, with James Cook here. What type? Let's talk about skill set. What type of skill set would he potentially bring to Athens? Um, one thing that I think he has is I think he's similar to DeAndre Swift. Is he actually has great hands receiver as, for, as a running? Dude, he back. was playing receiver almost half the time of the opening. Apparently, that's what I'm saying. And burning yeah, people. The running backs don't get you know a ton of a ton of threats no. uh, and important things there, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, he, his hands are that good. I mean, I saw a couple because granted they were just isolated clips, but where he was matched up against some of the best DBs in the country, they're at the opening, the top players in the country, and he was burning them, he was beating them, and that's that's impressive. So he has that skills, that versatility, no doubt. Do you think he has the potential to be a guy that can line up and be an every down in between the tackles type back? I still think he could. Yeah, I mean, to me, one thing I do see in him, and I see a little bit of a Keith Marshall. With better balance. Yes. yes. Okay. His. If you watch the guy play this tape, he runs like Keith Marshall. He's kind of that forward lean. You know what I'm talking about when you watch him run. But you're right. He's got better balance than Marshall did. Uh, he's got better vision, from what I can tell. And I think he also has better hands than Marshall. I mean, Marshall could catch balls out of the backfield, but I mean, he's a really good route runner. Can catch the football in the backfield. Can do a lot of different things. So I think he's definitely a better running back prospect than Keith Marshall ever was. Uh, but they do look a lot alike when you watch him run that forward lean. Um, so I, I really like what he could potentially bring to the table. How good do you feel about our chances to land Cook now that he's decommitted from Florida State? I feel really good because the fact is he's doing all this after Samir White. So I mean, it's not like yeah. it's you know it's not like he's done it while we had no one committed. He's done it while we do have the number one back in the class committed. So it shows that he is serious. Yeah, I think we have to be considered the prohibitive favorite right now. I, I really do. I mean, if in his mom, I forget where it was. I saw it yesterday. I'm trying to remember. I, don't, I want to make sure. I think it was. It was on two four seven. I think it was dogs two four seven. Okay, and it was James Cook's mom. I interviewed his mom, and she had some very interesting things to say about how much they love Georgia. The family loves Georgia, and how he, you know, she knows that he loves Georgia. He went up on a visit. You know, they always all prospects put on the jerseys and they take pictures and all that, and they post to social media. But he apparently doesn't usually do that. But he did it on his visit to Georgia, and she's like, I, that, I knew that he liked it there. And she mentions Zamir White. She brings him up and says, we actually like the fact that Zamir White is coming to Georgia uh, because she doesn't want her son taking the beating. Let's see if I can pull this up right here. Yeah, uh, see, that's one thing I can bring up, too, is, you know, t- uh, I was talking to someone recently, and that's what we pointed out, is think of the beatings that Dalvin Cook took down at Florida State. That guy took a beating, was always playing hurt. You know, every game, all you heard about was him playing through an injury. And I think they they saw that. And I, it may have hurt his draft stock just a little. I don't know. In their opinion, it may up. But I think that they see that in Georgia. And Georgia has a history of it. Is You know, at, usually at most you get around 20 carries a game. I mean, Gurley very rarely 
only like a couple games got 30 carries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've all the past couple of years. I mean, it's been a while now that we've we've had kind of had that two headed monster. Sometimes a three headed monster, depending on who is back there in the backfield. See, I've got what his mom said right here, and this, listen to this. So she says, "Quote this is, again, Kip Adams, Dog Two Four Seven, reporting this." Quote. So we went up there to Georgia, and I love Georgia. I really love Georgia. Georgia is a really, 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 really six reallys plus 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 for us right now. We really love Georgia. That's what his mom had to say. Then you talk about uh, matching up with um, with Zeus. She says um, that was our whole thing about going to the SEC. With the physicality of the league, every game is a big game. With close to over 100,000 people watching. That was my major concern. I expressed it. James coming here and I do not want him to just be the battering ram. We have to have someone there to compliment him. We talked and I liked what Georgia said. James loves the thought of being part of a tandem with Zamir White. Um, okay. So after reading those quotes, and again, like things change, but do we not have to be considered the prohibitive favorite to land him right now? I think so because he hasn't really gone on business anywhere else, so it seems like we're the school that pushed him to decommit. Yeah, he himself said that when asked where he's visited, he said Georgia, 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 and that's about it. So I, I think that there's a really good chance that we end up landing it. Again, nothing is a sure thing in recruiting. There is no such thing when it comes to the world of recruiting. But right now, I think we are the heavy favorite to land not just the number one running back in the country in Zamir White. They got him in the bag, but potentially number three running back, who, like his mom said, is a great compliment to what Zamir White brings to the table. So, man, dude, if we can land him and get one of those five-star quarterbacks, our recruiting issues in the early part of the 2018 class, that's going to be a distant memory, man. It's just going to be way in the rearview mirror there. And not only that, but I think it also helps us with our connection down in Florida. Sure, absolutely. And kudos to James Coley. Uh, they mentioned him in that interview. And he's, I mean, you know, he coached in Miami for a while. I think he coached Florida State too. Uh, so he's got those connections down in South Florida. And we spent a lot of time down there over the course of the spring evaluation period. It looks like it's somewhat paying off. So keep our fingers crossed there. I'm definitely be watching that one very, very closely. Uh, all right, so all of that with Corral, Fields, Cook, all that's roses right now. That's the stuff that makes you feel all warm inside as a dog fan. But as we all know too well, there is a dark side to recruiting as well. It's not always roses because it's just never going to always go your way. So let's briefly move over to that dark side just for a moment or two here. I know it's unpleasant, but we got to be you know fair and balanced here and talk about two prospects that have caused some, I guess, some consternation maybe of late. So first, we're going to talk about Nolan Smith here for a second, the number three overall prospect in the 2019 class that has been committed to us since late January. And when he committed, he became he proclaimed himself the Richard LeCount of the 2019 class. Said that Richard or Richie got it started, and then he was going to take it up a notch in the 2019 class. And but he's recently reportedly been flirting with a few other schools, most prominently with Clemson. So Kurt, there is such a long way to go, man, with these 2019 guys, but. How important is it for us to keep Nolan Smith in the fold? How good is he? That's what I think he's going to be really good. That's why I think it's really important we hold on to him. I mean, he's a guy that you could really build a class around. Absolutely. I mean, guy, okay, so as much of a game changer I think Fields can be on the offensive side of the ball, I think that Nolan Smith can be that guy on the defensive side of the ball. I think he is that good. Uh, he, to give you some context here, at the open, he was a, he's an underclassman. He's a rising junior. 2019 guy that was at the opening with primarily uh, rising seniors. 
And even though he's a year younger than most of the guys, he finished seventh overall at the opening in the overall Spark score, which is basically, if you guys know what that is, a Spark score is something that Nike does, which is basically a measure of a player's overall athleticism. So as a rising junior, he finished seventh overall at the opening, and, and, and that's at 6'3", 223 pounds. He ran a 4.59, and he's a pass rusher, guys, if you, weren't, if you didn't know that. It was a 6'3", 223 pass rusher, defensive and off the edge, ran a 4.59, had a 40 and a half vertical leap. I mean, that's crazy at the, at this stage in his career that he's putting up those kind of numbers. And if you watch him play, he's a freaking beast. He's a monster off the edge. And I, I've always said your quarterback's probably the single most important position, but then the next two most important positions are the guys who protect the quarterback and then the guys who get after him. And Nolan Smith is one of those guys that gets after him. So, man, he's a guy that we really need to keep in this class, not just because how good he is. That's a big part of it, like we just went over. But he is a kind of Richard LeCount type guy. At least he proclaimed himself to be and kind of dragging other guys from Georgia into the fold or encouraging them to come into the fold. So, but Kurt, my question for you, the next thing is this. Like, so this is a guy who publicly and brazenly proclaimed that he wanted to take the lead in crying all those top 2019 players for us. So what happened? Why is he all of a sudden wavering here? Um, I think there's the biggest reason is you have the two schools after him the hardest other than Georgia or I believe Alabama and Clemson who have been in the national championship game the last two years. Yeah, and he's made no bones about it. You know, he's he's come out and said, like, we just got to win. And he's not the only recruit that said that. I mean, Jamari Sawyer made comments similar to that. There's a lot of guys that are making those comments. Like, we got, they want to see us do it. Now, Kurt, you know, they love our staff and love what we can do in the recruiting trail, but we kind of face-planted somewhat in year one, losing some games we had no business losing. So we want he wants to see us win. I get it. I get it. When when you're at, when every school in the country's after you and you got uh, your other top options are Alabama and Clemson who just played the national title game, I get it why you want to see us do it. I think we were ready to do that, but we still have to do it on the field. So I think that's the biggest part of it now. you got a lot of Clemson. He, he plays at IMG Academy now down in Braden, Florida, and a couple of his teammates are Clemson commits, and Xavier Thomas is his roommate is a Clemson commit. So, you know, they're in his ear. You, know, you would hope that he'd be in their ear about George. But he's the younger guy, maybe a little bit more impressionable. I, I don't know how that dynamic works, but you see something like that. But I think he really does come down to winning. I think you're right about that. Uh, man, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one, dude. We, we, we got to do on the field. We got to win. We got to win. We got to get this guy. So let's fast forward to signing day 2019. I know, a long way away, so it's a, it's impossible to know for sure because he probably doesn't even know right now. But if you had to put a number on it, 1 to 10, how confident are you he signs with us? With 1 being least confident, 10 being the most confident. Like, sure thing in the best. I'd six. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet right now. I think, it's, I think he, he's obviously still committed to us, so I, I think he's – still leaning our way more than anywhere, although that commitment might not be lasting much longer from what I hear. We'll see. Uh, and he's kind of going back. I mean, like a lot of these guys, they talk about both sides of their mouth. Not to criticize them, but they, they do. I mean, in one interview, he was asked, you know, sum up your, your commitment to George. He said, oh, it's real solid right now. And then later on in the same interview, he says, uh, I'm still looking around. And it's like, <laughs> that makes no sense, dude. He even said that when he committed. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just... Man, that man, I know this. That's how it is in the recruiting world. I know, I know it's how it is. But it just drives me crazy every time I hear like, "Oh no, man, I'm 100% committed. I'm 100% committed. I'm, I'm real solid." But then at the end of the interview, oh, I'm still looking around. Well, then you can't be 100% committed if you're looking around, okay? I mean, I just it drives me crazy. But hey, whatever. Um, I'm with you about a six. Um, if he, let's say he does decommit, do you think there's a chance to get him back in the fold? Because there's still a long time to go here. Yeah, I was gonna say it's nowhere near close to being done. Yeah, we got some time. Uh, need to get him though, uh, and then you got Stefan Wynn, the number 104 player nationally, number five strong side defensive end, who was a long time uh, 
or he was long rumored to be a heavy Georgia lean, ends up coming to Alabama last Saturday. Uh, we started to hear some buzz to that effect late last week going into the weekend, and sure enough, on Saturday, he pulled the trigger for Alabama. So this is a guy that a lot of people um, that cover Georgia recruiting kind of had in the bag for us. So, Kurt, how big of a miss was that, losing win to Alabama? Um, I think it's a miss, but I'll say this. I don't think I don't think it's a huge miss because it's nowhere near done yet. Definitely. Uh, it's not done. And he, he's still, in the interview after the fact, and this guy's always got the post-commitment interviews, he had a lot of really nice things to say about our program and our coaches and our staff in general and, our, and what we're doing going into the future. He basically just said, it makes sense. They gave him the Jonathan Allen pitch, right? They said, hey, look, look at the players who had our defensive line. You look like them. You could be the next guy like that. And that's hard to turn down when they've been turning out guy after guy after guy at that position. Because he, he basically he projects to be an Allen-type player, a five-tech defensive end. You can move him inside in certain situations, but more so a five-tech defensive end. Um, and he would have been a really good fit for us. Kind of a Jonathan Ledbetter-type player. And I really liked what I saw to his tape. Never saw him play personally but or in person. But I've seen his tape. I really liked what I saw. He's, he, at this stage, he does a really good job using his hands, plays with good leverage. He's going to be a good player for them. But you're right. It's not over yet. Uh, I think we have a chance to swing him back to our side. We'll see. But right now, he's a, he's a, he's a commit and on the title. I, when it happened, I have to say, I don't think he had a committable offer to Bama. Bama has not been killed on the recruiting trail right now, and I think they just needed some good news, trying to build some momentum. I could definitely see that happen. And that, yeah, I, because that's the thing. I mean, if Bama had been giving him this pitch the whole time, they would have been leading the entire time. But they, it looks, it really seems that like they gave him the pitch at the last second. It's kind of like the thing with Master Teague at, with Ohio State, right? Where he basically, I mean, you could tell if you go back and watch that recruiting video, he had, he was going to commit to us in that video, and he had to go back and recut it because they. Offered him at Ohio State, so you know because see a similar situation with Alabama and Stephon Wynn. But he's a good player, guys. I mean, he he's a miss. I think he's a guy. And look, right now the one I know really excited about the potential for signing a five-star quarterback and uh, maybe James Cook and all these other skill players. But last class we didn't do a great job recruiting the defensive line. And hell, right now it looks like Devontae White might not even make it into school this year. So who knows what's going to happen there? We got to start getting some guys on the defensive line. We got to keep those coffers stocked. And right now, it just isn't happening. I don't know. I mean, Rick Sandage is a guy that we're looking at, but I don't know how serious we're in that one. Maybe. So when you, had a, when you were leading for this guy, a guy like Stephon Wynn, we need to land him. We need to pull this guy because you got to have guys on the defensive line. We're fine right now, maybe next year, but if we don't start signing some big time guys on the defensive line, we're going to be in a pretty bad situation up there. And that's not where we need to, like we said, get a win games in the trenches still today. Uh, and finally, Marquez Ezard, a four-star wide receiver at a Stockbridge High School here in Georgia. He was set to announce this Saturday, as in if you're listening to the show on Friday, as in tomorrow. And by all reports, it was down to Georgia and Florida State. But he announced earlier in the beginning on Tuesday that he needed more time and pushed back his commitment. And there's no now there's no real timetable on when he will pull the trigger. So again, we don't know for sure, Kurt, but what's your read on this? Is, was, is, is Ezard... Pulling back on his commitment is that good news or bad news for us? I think it's good news for us. I think he was all he was all FSU, and then they had a big yeah. time receiver commit to them. Yeah, he's and a guy was trending towards Cook. Florida State over the past couple weeks, right? I believe so. Yeah, I mean, he was long time we were the we were the favorite, but over the past couple weeks, you hear him trending more and more to Florida State. He went down there. He's only visited Florida State once, and they went down there with his dad, and they kind of got. I guess they were blown away with what they saw. He's been here a bunch of times, but Florida State may have taken the lead. But like you mentioned, they had a they, Florida State just got another wide receiver commitment, right? Yeah, a guy named Antoine Green, a three-star guy. Not, nothing to write home about too much, but still got another wide receiver commitment. And you couple that with the fact that James Cook decommitted, maybe he uh, that caused him to kind of pull, you know pull back on this a little bit. 
and press pause for a minute, kind of just reevaluate where he is right now. I think it is good news for us because it's. I, I think he probably was going to commit to Florida State on Saturday. I I, I, mean, I don't know, if, know that for sure, but it kind of seemed to be where that was trending. It's kind of like a situation with uh, Trevor Lawrence. Remember the beginning of last year or last football season when Trevor Lawrence was going to supposedly was going to commit the before the very early part of the football season? Well, he backed off that commitment date. And that turned out being good for Clemson because at that time, it was probably going to be us that Trevor Lawrence was going to commit to. Well, Clemson convinced him to back off and just let the season progress and basically said, hey, you know, Georgia got a new staff. Why don't you watch how their offense looks? Because they probably realized that we're going to have a true freshman quarterback with a new system and a new coaching staff. They probably realized our offense wasn't going to look that great, especially with Nick Chubb coming off an injury. And lo and behold, our offense, well, it wasn't that great to put it nicely. Uh, So... And, of course, Clemson goes on and wins the national title. And, lo and behold, Trevor Lawrence commits to Clemson, wants to be the next Deshaun Watson-type guy. Good for him. Lucky. Uh, but I could see that kind of be a similar situation here. Maybe this works in our favor, though, where he was this time around he was going to commit to another school. We get him to hold off, and maybe we can get him in the fold at some point during the season. So another one to watch there. He's, I, I really like Ezard's game. Do you uh, prefer Ezard or Kyrus Jackson at a wide receiver this year? I think Kyrus Jackson. I don't know, man. Jackson's probably a more polished player. I think Ezra's a little more explosive. A little bit more. You're splitting hairs there. They're both really good. I might take Ezra in terms of explosiveness, but Jackson's a little more polished. He's got maybe a better all-around game. But I'd like to get them both in the fold, man. I really would. So we'll see how that one plays out. But uh, that's it for today's show, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed this recruiting blitz edition of the show. We will be back next week with our Scouting the Enemy series focusing on the Tennessee Volunteers. So if you're looking forward to listening to that today, check back with us next week. That is next up on our agenda here. Uh, again, check us out on Twitter at Glory underscore UJ. Check us out on Facebook, Glory UJ podcast page. Uh, feel free to send us any questions you guys have. We've already got a couple questions that are in for the July mailbag. Still a couple weeks away from that, but anything that comes to mind, send it your way. Let us know your thoughts on the show. Uh, but for Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, thanks for listening, and go dogs.